Thank you, ladies. Appreciate that more than you know. Uh, it's hard to, I shouldn't talk about this. When I went through my cancer treatments, I had about five songs that I played over and over again. And that was one of them. Such a blessing to know God loves us the way he does. Now, that's not our chapel today, but I really appreciate that. I could listen to you sing more. Praise the Lord. Okay. Why do you know? All right. Hope you're praying for me today. I'm about uh, 50% of normal here this morning. I felt I had a responsibility and a duty to come here and speak you, to, to you today because actually I'm going to talk about that very briefly. Um, I can't really hear very well. Um, if I have to sneeze or blow my nose, please forgive me. Hopefully you can hear me. I think God has something for us today. So I really appreciate this opportunity to speak to you today. Now, <clears throat> I know almost all of you knew the answer to that question. Right? Tomorrow's election day, November 8th. I'd like to give you five ideas to remember about election day. And uh, yes, we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2 in just a moment. But I think these five things are important for us to at least know. This is not normal chapel announcements when you tune out, okay? This is important stuff. We only have elections uh, like tomorrow every two years, national significance. They don't happen very often. I was trying to count them in my mind, how many I voted in, and I won't tell you. Um, there's really not that many times that this happens in a person's life. Tomorrow is one of those days. So let me give you just a few ideas. I bet you know most of these. And in the middle of this, we're going to take a poll. Now, I should have made it electronic, but I was a little worried about technology in the gym. So we're going to use our bodies to take a poll here in just a minute, all right? Don't be nervous. All right. Sometimes students think it's not legal for you to vote in Wisconsin if you, quote, don't live in Wisconsin, end of quote. But you realize as a dorm student, or as a town student, that you can legally vote because the residency requirement in Wisconsin is 28 days. And yes, you reside in a dorm if you're a dorm student. They count that everywhere in Wisconsin, in all the colleges and universities. And actually, I counted it up, and it's way more than 28 days. can't believe it. 78 days of this semester has gone by since you first got here. But you knew that because there's only a couple weeks left. So it's legal. It's legal. Don't be confused about that. In Wisconsin, the laws are very, very wide open. I want to say liberal. I don't know if that's the right word to use right now, but... You, you can register um, even on the day of the election in the state of Wisconsin. That's not true everywhere, but it's true in this state. 
And um, the state law allows you to walk down to the polls or drive and register and then cast a vote right after the, the moment you register. Let me give you a suggestion, though. If you haven't done that and you want to do it, you may want to go down to City Hall and do it today because you're going to be trapped in a long extra line tomorrow. If you want to register and then vote, hopefully you've taken care of that. Um, but you can still vote. Now, Dr. Davis mentioned this one, but I have to say it too. Remember that you only can vote once per election. Okay? Only one location per election. You may only cast one ballot for the midterm election. Otherwise, you are a felon. Don't sign up to be a felon. I've heard about students who have done that. Are you surprised? I think they were mistaken. I think their intentions were not bad, I hope. Um, but you only can vote one place. So don't send in an absentee ballot to Wyoming. Well, you probably already did, to Wyoming, and then walk down to City Hall and throw another ballot into the pot. That's not legal. Sounds like you might think it might be good, but it's not legal at all. So let's take a little survey here. I got two more things, but let's take a survey. Now, I will tell you that there's a way to be anonymous in all this, but I don't want to ruin our polling sample. Uh, one way you can be anonymous is never stand up. You don't want to do that. And another way to be anonymous is stand up the whole time and just uh, listen to me when I tell you to sit down. So you, I'm not forcing you to do anything here, okay? That's, I, that's my point. I'm not forcing you to do anything. So would you all please, please stand? Very good. We're good at that one. Look at that. Okay, I'd like you to sit down if you're... I'll put a couple things in this category so we're not, like, uh, embarrassing anyone. I don't know why, but if you're not 18 years old or you're not a U.S. citizen, would you please sit down? There's nothing to be embarrassed about that. All right. Number two, would you sit down if you already voted by absentee ballot? Listen to the whole sentence. If you already voted by absentee ballot in another state or territory of the United States. Okay. Not as many people sat down as I thought. What do you think? We still got a good 80% of our group standing. All right. Would you sit down if you voted early in Wisconsin? Wow. Only about 10 people sat down. Okay. So guess who's left? If you're being honest, people who can vote tomorrow, people who can vote tomorrow, be seated, please. See, you did that so well. Wasn't that exciting? All right, I see what time it is. I need to move quickly. You're polling? Okay, if you are a dorm student, I found people who didn't know where they voted last week. So if you were, that's, if you were a dorm student. If you are a 
dorm student, you vote, it's kind of ironic, isn't it? The senior center. <laughs> the senior center. I'm sure glad I don't vote there any longer. There are multiple polling places in Wisconsin, so if you're not on campus, you may vote somewhere else, and there's a way you can find that out by looking at the city website, or if you're really confused, just talk to me or talk to somebody else. Um, Yes, I put the address there. Maybe you need to put that in your phone so you can find this place. It's not really hard to find. You go past the library downtown, and it's the next... Right, after the bridge, okay, that bridge that looks like they're working on it for like 25 years, you go over that bridge and you turn the next right and down that road about two blocks is the senior center, so it's not hard to find. 8 a.m., excuse me, 7 a.m., I know you're not going to go there at 7 a.m., 7 a.m. to 8 p.m., it's open, 7 a.m. to 8 p.m., Now, OSA is providing rides to the polls. If you need a ride, um, you're supposed to email them. This morning, actually, they ask in one of those announcements you don't read. And they have three times there that they are planning to take people down by car or van. I'm not sure which. Um, I'm sure you have a roommate, a friend, somebody. You don't have to walk all the way down there. Hey, if you need a ride, just let me know. I'll take you. I'll take you tomorrow. Just let me know to the polls. So hopefully you've gotten all this information that you need. That's all I'm going to talk about. No, we're not going to tell you who to vote for. Absolutely not. That would not be appropriate. Um, I think you know what to do as far as voting is concerned. But I want to talk to you today a little bit about the believer and government. And what type of citizen we all should be? What kind of citizen? And so I sort of have a premise here. And it's believers owe allegiance to their government, but must always remember that they are citizens of a far better kingdom. So we'll take that thought and keep it in mind today. Eventually, I'm going to give you three, just three very basic ideas. What we're looking at here is 1 Peter 2. If you haven't gone there on your phone, get there. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 17. This is a very familiar passage. I can remember a couple messages in chapel related to it not too long ago. But we, we need to look at it. So I wonder how Scripture instructs us about our interaction here on earth as citizens. What should our controlling attitude be as we rub shoulders with people here in this world? Can a believer really make a difference both in their country in their world, and for Christ? Or should believers totally disengage from influence and the world they live in? So I think there are three basic ideas here that we can glean from this passage, at least three. 
And I'd like to read the passage for you, first of all. So I'm in 1 Peter 2, 9 through 17, verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light which in time past were not a people, but now, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that... Whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which ye shall behold, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, or for the praise of them that do well. For so it is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty as a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. That is such a rich passage We don't do it justice to look at it in 15 minutes. I challenge you to continue to look at that passage, but I want to pull three principles out of it for you. And um, I guess they're on my PowerPoint, right? Let's begin. So, three ideas. I don't know if they're principles, but three ideas from 1 Peter 2 that tell us something about being a citizen here on earth. The first one is, God has called us to be honest, godly, excellent citizens. Honest, godly, excellent citizens. Verse 12, we'll look there for a second. Having your conversation, having your conduct, having your behavior Honest among the Gentiles, Peter says. Honest, excellent, praiseworthy. When somebody looks at you, and it's talking about the ungodly, the unsaved, they should see someone in their world that is honest, godly, praiseworthy, excellent. And the verse tells us why. In fact, it tells us why in two of the verses in the passage, why we should have that kind of characteristics. The end of verse 12. Notice what it says? That they by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God. Notice verse 15. For so is the will of God, 
that by well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. It's God's will that we live in a certain way so we stop the mouths of God's critics. We stop their mouths. We don't give them ammunition. We should never give Satan's minions ammunition to use to fire at God or God's ministries or God's servants. Now, I am a city council member, and that weighs on my mind a little bit at city council meetings. God expects me to behave in a certain way. God expects me to be excellent, honest, and godly in everything that comes out of my mouth, in everything that I say to someone else, or my decisions. God expects all of us to be that way. So by, by God's grace, uh, I think very clearly, we need to be very careful about our behavior, about our conduct, so that our life and our words silence the critics, because we are godly, excellent citizens. So what's an excellent citizen do? Now, this is a whole other message, what an excellent citizen does. And we could look at multiple passages, mostly in the New Testament. Romans 13.7 tells us to pay our taxes. Now, who likes taxes? Would you raise your hand, please, if you like... Oh, there's one person that likes taxes. Very good. Well, something's wrong with you, I think, maybe, but I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe they're a tax collector of some kind. Um, well, it doesn't matter if we like it. There's clear commands in Scripture, Romans 13, 7, Render, therefore, to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom is due. It does go on to say, fear to whom fear and honor to whom honor in that verse. An excellent citizen pays their taxes. An excellent citizen prays for government officials. I hope you pray for even the mayor and the city council in Watertown. I'm not sure if people do because, I'm, yes, I've had a couple people say they have. First uh, Timothy 2, 1 and 2 tells us that we, we are to pray for our government officials. Paul exhorts us in verse 1 and in verse 2 to pray for kings and all that are in authority that we, believers, might lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. An excellent citizen prays for officials. An excellent citizen, this is not on my PowerPoint, so some of you are nervous that it's not showing up there. It's not going to show up there unless somebody types it in in the booth, okay? So don't, don't worry about that. Okay, I only have my three main points up there to help you take notes. Hopefully you're taking notes. So, praise, praise taxes, praise for officials, stands up for truth. Stands up for truth. God expects us to stand up for truth. Sometimes that's not easy, but he does expect us. Takes advantage, number four, of God-given opportunities. Now, you can't find the word voting in your New Testament. At least, I've never found it. 
If you found it, you show it to me. You can't find it there. Now, there's a reason why you probably aren't going to find it there. It's because they didn't vote in elections. Nero didn't allow voting, you know. He wasn't too big into voting. So Peter and Paul are not voting for their government officials. Um, But there's a lot of scripture that tells us to do the right thing and take advantage as stewards of what God has given us. And I would put voting into that category. You might say, it doesn't make a difference. I don't really care. I don't like politics. Well, you don't have to like politics. But God has given us a duty. He has given us an opportunity. You know, I... I'm kind of a little strange because I've studied a lot of history and it makes me think things that maybe are odd to you, possibly. Like when I go to historical sites, I think about what the people did when they were actually there. When I go to Civil War battlefields, I'm a Civil War historian, and I I know what happens on certain little stretches of grass and hills and inclines. I have to stop and think about it. And I think about what was done for me. See, knowledge gives us a lot more to think about. That's a profound statement, isn't it? I never met my great-grandfather, of course, I didn't really know anything about him. My mother's grandfather, uh, he had passed away. She was a toddler. She didn't really know him. And as I studied him a little bit, I just Googled his name once, actually. I think I might have been working on a family tree. And lo and behold, I got a Civil War soldier's Um, enlistment list, and his name was right on it, wounded. Now, I don't know anything about Jacob, but for some reason, as a 30-year-old man who had only been in the United States for 10 years with a wife and some small kids, immigrant from Germany, coal miner, he walked up and volunteered to fight in the Civil War for three years. Fought at Antietam, fought at Gettysburg, fought at many different places, and somehow he made it back home. What was he thinking? Why would he do such a thing? When I go and vote, I think about my grandkids. I'm not going to be here very long but my grandkids are, and I should think about you guys too. Because there's a legacy. There's a duty. There's this responsibility. You know, I, I'm, I'm an historian, and my, my favorite time period is early American history. I love the Revolutionary War. I know what people have done for us, for the rights that we have. I can't tell you this whole story, 
But at the end of 1776, George Washington was losing his troops. Their enlistment was over. They were going to go home. And so he decided to use the army one final time, Christmas Day, 1776. I'm sure you've heard of this. He puts them on boats. They cross the Delaware River and they march to Trenton, New Jersey. And to me, the most incredible thing about that is their commitment. Why did they even care so much? Local farmers and townspeople tell the story that you were able to notice in the snow the tin of blood for weeks. Why? They didn't have shoes. Now, when I add all these things together, and I'm not trying to give anyone a guilt trip, I'm talking about me. I show up at the polls. Because my small little thing to do does not compare to what has been done for us. So, first point, we'll go really fast now. Let's be honest, godly, excellent citizens, fulfilling our responsibilities. Now, very clearly, this passage tells us to be submissive and respectful. You saw that when we read verse 13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man, human authority. Submit yourselves to human authority. That's a lot of different people that God calls us to submit to. The same thing is is indicated there a little bit in verse 17 about honoring, respecting a lot of different folks. Honor all men, honor the king, it says, the first and last part of verse 17. Respect. Notice, though, that we're to our ultimate respect in verse 17. The highest level of respect is to God, fear God. What's that look like? We ought to be praying for our government officials. We ought to be following the laws. We ought to be encouraging them in some way. Number three, keeping all those things in mind, we have a higher kingdom. Our most significant citizenship is not in this world, not even close. It's in heaven. It's our highest priority. Very fascinating language is used in verses 9, 10, and 11 about who we are as believers. Chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation, Peculiar people were called out of darkness into light. We're a people of light. Verse 10, we're the people of God. Verse 11, we're exiles, pilgrims, aliens, temporary residents. That's the mindset here. We have a kingdom that's far better. 
Now that's to keep us with the right perspective on what's really most important. You understand that, I'm sure. C.S. Lewis, um, in Mere Christianity, has an extensive quote, and he's trying to go to the far opposite side to make a point. And I kind of like the quote, but we need to find the happy balance middle because God expects us to be good citizens on earth, but he needs us to be heavenly citizens at the same time. Let me read you this quote. To spend your time altering the state when you could be offering people eternal salvation is a bad bargain. To abandon the message that gives life to the eternal soul in favor of temporal change ignores the purpose of a believer's life. That would be like a heart surgeon abandoning his life-saving practice to become a makeup artist. That's right. Ultimately, God has put us here because we're concerned about people's souls. So in conclusion, let me just talk about a few takeaways that we should think about. Are we living for a heavenly king? There are, there's so much in this passage that tells us how to live for the heavenly king. Do we live like we have a heavenly kingdom? Are we pointing under believers to that heavenly kingdom? And what kind of citizen am I really? I, am I that honest, upright, trustworthy citizen that an unbeliever will look at and say, wow, their life, even though they might not realize this, they, they think you're different and your life is bringing glory to our eternal king. Pray that's true. Hope this was helpful to you. Lord, we thank you for being able to look at your word today. Lord, you've given us so much, so many blessings, especially those in the heavenlies. We long for the day that we will be with you and enjoy that new kingdom. But Lord, we're here on earth, so we have earthly responsibilities as well that you've called us to. Help us to be the kind of citizens here on earth that will point people to Christ. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.